I'm reading this morning from Genesis 27, starting in verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father, Isaac, asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who, who was it then that, that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these, these two times. He took my birthright and now he has taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you, have made him all of his relatives, his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what, what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too. My father then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near then. I will kill my brother Jacob. Well, good morning. What a great Christmas passage, isn't it? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, at this time of the year, we tend to be so distracted. Help us focus now and hear from you what you have for us to hear that we might learn how to more fully experience the joy you came to give us. We long for that joy. Open our hearts to hear from you by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on that wonderful night that Jesus was born, the angel came and spoke to the shepherds and said, I bring you news of great joy today. Today, a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to bring us joy. He wants us to live lives of joy. God wants us to live lives full of joy. A recent Christianity Today article said this, Indeed, from shout for joy to the Lord all the earth in Psalm 100 to rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice in dozens of places before and after and in between. We are urged to live joy-filled lives. 
G.K. Chesterton wrote, A person is fully human. A person is fully human when joy is the fundamental thing in him and grief the superficial. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. God calls us to joy. But as I look around and as many others have observed, American Christians seem to lack joy. We have so much. We've been blessed with so much material wealth and yet we seem to lack joy. The testimony of so many third world Christians as they observe Christians in America, they say you have so much and yet you seem so driven. You seem so unhappy with all you have and yet they who have almost nothing exhibit tremendous joy. What's the problem? What steals our joy? Why do we lack the joy that God wants us to have that is our Advent message and banner for the day? It's joy. How do we lose the joy? What steals it? Like the Grinch stole Christmas. (laughs) Well, perhaps several factors, and we could contemplate what they might be, but I want to focus on one area this morning, and that's the area of idolatry. Idolatry. I think idols steal our joy perhaps more than anything else. And you may say, well, wait a minute, I I don't have idols. I don't have little figurines on my mantle that I bow down to like people used to. And No, we have idols. (laughs) We have idols. As Tim Keller said, every person... Get this, every person and every culture is dominated by idols. That means all of us. Every person and every culture is dominated by idols. And these idols steal our joy in the Lord. Now, what is an idol? We need a little definition here, right? What is an idol? Well, Tim Keller again says, An idol is something we look to for salvation, for value, for life. Idolatry is turning a good thing into the central thing in our lives. That if we lose it, life falls apart. Okay, so an idol is anything. It can be a very good thing, but when it becomes central in our lives, so that when we lose it, our lives fall apart, that is an idol. And because of our fallenness, we all struggle with idolatry. We may live for God's will, but the real test is when there's a conflict between what God wants and what our idol demands. And then we find out what our idols really are. Well, our passage today that we read the portion of just now helps us understand some of the major idols that I think we struggle with. And I think this is important for us at Christmas time to understand because if we can let go of these idols, we can begin to more fully experience the joy that God longs for us to experience. So let's look at what steals our joy, these idols. And let me, again, set the historical context because we're in the midst of Genesis and it's we're in the midst of dealing with this dysfunctional family, Isaac 
and Rebekah, the parents, and they have twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob came out right after clutching his heel. Remember that? And this family is a struggling family. Isaac favors Esau because we're told he favored Esau because game was in his mouth. That's literal. Because he loved the taste of wild game. And Esau was a man's man. He was a hunter. And he'd go hunt wild game and he'd bring it back. And Isaac loved when his son would do that. And so it says he loved Esau. But Rebekah favored, she loved Jacob. He was a man who stayed in the tents and she identified with him more and so she loved him. So there's favoritism in the family and there's conflict and there's struggling. And so Isaac, though God had come and spoken to the family and said, though Esau was the firstborn, Jacob is the chosen one to receive the blessing. The family knew that. But Isaac, as the father, says, no, I love Esau. So I'm going to manipulate this situation. He calls Esau in and he says, Esau, go out and hunt game and make me a pot of stew like I really love. And then I will give you the blessing. But guess what? Rebecca's listening at the door. She was always listening. So she tells Jacob, she said, hurry and kill two goats. Bring them in and I'll make a stew and we'll pretend like you are Esau so you can get the blessing. And they put the goat skins on him and he smelled like that. And so he came in. We saw this last week. Rod taught the passage where Jacob came in and, and he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Esau, your son. And he says, well, the voice is Jacob's, but you smell like Esau and you're hairy like Esau because Jacob was smooth skinned. Well, he had the goat skins on. And then he gave him some stew. And Isaac, because he tasted the stew, said, okay, this must be Esau. I'm going to give him the blessing. And Jacob stole the blessing. So in our passage today that was just read, you see that Esau comes back from hunting. He's ready for the blessing. He makes the stew. He brings it in and says, okay, Dad, I'm ready. Give me the blessing. And he says, who are you? He says, I'm Esau. He says, oh, no. Jacob stole your blessing. Now look at the amazing dysfunction of this family. People lying to each other, deceiving one another, stealing from one another, stealing the blessing. It just goes on and on. And you see in verse 33, it says that Isaac, when he realized what had happened, trembled with a very great trembling. Translation says trembled violently. You see, he came to a realization at that point that they'd been conned and that everything he had dreamed of was lost. Walter Brueggemann puts it this way. He says, at that point, Isaac's whole beautiful dream for a peaceful and proper closure to his life has been irreversibly shattered. So my question is, what idol was Isaac living by? Well, we're told pretty early on what his idol was. It was pleasure. He loved the taste of the wild game. He loved to feast. He loved to have his senses titillated. You see, he was a man who was controlled by the idol 
of pleasure. Over and over again we see that. And he says when he sends Esau out to, to kill the wild game, he says, go, kill the game, and come back and make me a savory meal such as I love. And everybody knows that Rebecca says that when she sends Jacob to get the goats and I'll make him a savory meal such as he loves, such as his idol demands. And he's easily manipulated because of that. See, I think we see something when you're living by the idol of pleasure. It sets you up to be manipulated by anyone or anything that promises to satisfy your desire for pleasure. Do you get that? When you're living for pleasure, when that's your idol, I must feel good. This is a harsh world. It's difficult. I struggle in this world. And I must feel good. I must feel pleasure. It sets you up to be manipulated by anyone or anything that promises to satisfy your desire for pleasure. Well, if you look at our culture today, our culture is dominated in many ways by this idol, I think, the idol of pleasure. We try so hard to get pleasure in our culture. We, we are driven for that. We hate the idea of suffering and we think we should never suffer. We should always experience pleasure. So it's one of our primary idols. I must feel good all the time. So we look to whatever will soothe our senses in this broken world. And we as Christians, unfortunately, have bought into this idol in many ways. I want to read a portion from a book called Hot Tub Religion by J.I. Packer, a great theologian, where he talks about this drive for pleasure. He says, Hollywood and TV have projected a fairy tale view of life in which pleasure is the crock of gold that you will always find at the end of the rainbow, provided that your previous behavior hasn't been too utterly outrageous. He goes on to say, symptoms of hot tub religion today include a skyrocketing divorce and remarriage rate among Christians, widespread indulgence of sexual aberrations, an overheated supernaturalism that seeks signs, wonders, visions, prophecies, and miracles to help us feel good, constant soothing syrup from electronic preachers in the liberal pulpit, looking for emotional highs deliberately cultivated, the Christian equivalent of marijuana and cocaine, and an easy, thoughtless acceptance of luxury in everyday living. These are not healthy trends. They make the church look like the world driven by the same unreasoning desire for pleasure, seasoned with magic, with the supernatural. Those are sobering words, <laughs> challenging words for us to think about. Are, are we driven by this idol of pleasure? You see, God so often, as we see over and over in the Scripture, calls us to a life of discipleship that involves suffering death to our own desires, following him whether it hurts or not. And so if we live for pleasure, that means we will end up denying him. And what will be the fruit of that? Do we really get what pleasure seems to promise us? The joy in life that we really want? No. The end of Isaac's life is sad. He ends up in emptiness. He ends up losing his son Jacob. He ends up losing his son Esau, the one that he loved. He's manipulated by his wife. He loses 
His marriage, essentially, it's a broken marriage. They can't even speak truth to one another. It's a mess. His life, his relationships are a mess because he chose to live for pleasure rather than God. And so we see this violent trembling in verse 33 where suddenly he's realized that living for the idol of pleasure only leads to loss, not joy. So, pleasure is one of our idols that steals our joy. Another idol that steals our joy we see in Esau. Esau, I think, had a slightly different idol. I think his idol is the idol of passion. Isaac's was pleasure. Esau's was passion. You see it from the day he was born. It says he was covered in hair, red hair. And it's interesting. I think that's very descriptive of his life. Red, the color of passion. Hair, he was very hairy as a baby even, and it's a picture of uh, like an animal, like a beast, controlled by your impulses, controlled by your instincts. And we see that over and over again in his life where he makes choices based on the immediate satisfaction instead of long-term benefit and fruitfulness. Like when he came in from hunting and he's so hungry and Jacob, his brother, has made a pot of lentil stew. And he says, give me some of that red, red stuff. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright first. Let me be the chosen one. And he says, hey, what good is the birthright to me if I'm dead? Give me some of that. You can have my birthright. I mean, he acted over and over again with this sense of, I need to live by my passions. That's what identifies who I am. We see in chapter 26 where he married Hittite women. Now, this was against the family culture. The family always went to relatives back in Haran to marry, but he marries the women around him. I can only assume, based on who he was, that he saw some women, lusted for them, and he married a couple of Hittite women that are foreigners that it was clear they were not to marry, and it brought tremendous grief to his mother and father, we're told. But he did it anyway, because he was controlled by passion. You see, this is a common idol, I believe, in our culture. This idea that I need to be true to myself, and if I'm going to be who I really am, I'm defined by my feelings, and if I feel this, I should do it. We see this in a number of ways. We see it by the young people these days, Christian people who, are, who know the truth, who know God's Word, and yet they give in to premarital sex in rampant numbers. We see so many who choose to just live by their passions rather than by the truth of God. I've known many Esau's in my life, one of that was heartbreaking to me especially, was my roommate in college, my best friend. We were roommates for four years. We were roommates in seminary together, following the Lord, seeking the Lord. He eventually went and got a job, and he married, had four beautiful daughters, young daughters at the time, and he had an affair with a woman he worked with. I spoke to him on the phone several times during this process, and he'd say, oh, for the first time in my life, I feel so alive. He he's always, was always a very controlled person. And then they often are the ones, I think, that end up 
giving in to the idol of passion because they've lived so controlled they don't know how to deal with passion. And so he would say, oh, I feel so alive finally. And I said, you know, passion is good. God built you to be a passionate person, but not to find it in an illicit affair. God wants to awaken that passion for your wife and for your family and for relationship with Him. That's where your passion is meant to be fulfilled. But he rejected all that. He rejected everything, divorced his wife, married the other woman, left a broken home, broken family, tremendously painful, destructive. Now, Tiger Woods has been in the news a lot lately. You know, I think about Tiger Woods, and obviously this is some speculation, but I think about his life from the time of his small boy being so disciplined about golf and his family and being pushed into that, that he would, he would be successful at this. And so it dr- has driven his life and controlled his life, and he's been very successful. But in the midst of all that, we're finding out He buried a beautiful wife, and yet it wasn't enough. And he's admitted infidelity, and up to ten women so far have claimed that he's had affairs with them, and we don't know the truth, but I just suspect he was a lot like my friend I went to seminary with, who controlled in his life and didn't know how to handle passion. Passion became his idol. And now he's bearing the horrible fruit, the damage of that to his marriage, to his life, to his reputation. You see, the idol of passion often grabs people who are very controlled and don't know how to handle passion, or people like Esau that are just uncontrolled and just live by passion all the time. But either way, it's your idol of passion. And what's the fruit of it? How does it end up? Does that bring you joy like it promises? You have to do this, live by your passions to have joy? No. Look what happened to Esau. In verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with this exceedingly great and bitter cry. Literally, he screamed, No! No! I've lost it. I've lost everything. but yet he continues to be controlled by his passions. In verse 41, it says, He held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Oh yeah? I'm going to make my passion work for me. I will kill my brother. He doesn't know any other way to live. His life is empty and broken and controlled by his rage by his passions. Fortunately, he's afraid to do it till his father dies because he doesn't want to lose what little bit of favor he has from his father still. The end of the story for Isaac is over in chapter 28, the end of our passage today, where it talks about he saw that Isaac, that Jacob had been sent away to get a wife from Haran from the relatives of Rebekah, his mother. And so he thinks, oh, well, to please my father, he's not happy with me marrying Hittite women, so I'll go marry my cousin from the Ishmaelite line. So he marries a cousin from there. He's trying to make life work, but it ends up not working. 
You see, living by the idol of passion will only make us lose the one thing we do have in life, whatever that is. The idol of passion promises joy, but it only leads to regret, pain, emptiness, and a regret over all that's lost. And eventually, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12 about Esau, commenting on this very event in his life, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17, let there be no immoral or godless person like Esau among you who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. What a sad commentary on Esau's life. Someone who lives for passion, what do you end up with? A brokenness in your life where you're not even able to repent in the end. Though you seek for it with tears. How about Rebecca? She's the last idol we want to look at this morning. What was her idol? Well, if you think about the story, her being consumed with Jacob and trying to please her son Jacob and trying to get him the blessing and all of that, you see that her idol was people, in particular her son. But I broadened it to say people in general so because many of us have people for idols. They may be children or they may be others, but many of us have people for idols. She put Jacob first in her life and she was willing to do anything to get him what she wanted him to have. And that meant lying to her husband, deceiving him, twisting the truth, doing all kinds of things, losing essentially her marriage to cheat, deceive, and lie to get her son Jacob what she wanted him to have. She deceived to get him the blessing and now listen to verse 42 and following it here in chapter 27. Remember, Esau said, I'm going to kill Jacob. I'm going to kill my brother as soon as dad's gone. Now, when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she always gets the latest gossip, doesn't she? She's always listening. She sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son... Obey my voice and arise, flee to Haran, to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. Notice what she says. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. He ends up actually staying over 20 years. She never sees him again. Until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. She never did. Why should I be be bereaved of you both in one day? So this is what she does, verse 46. Rebecca said to Isaac, her husband, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth, the Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be? Okay, she's trying to save Jacob's life, but of course she has to deceive and lie to her husband instead of being honest. 
She uses all her feminine wiles. Oh, my life is be a total waste. Oh, if Jacob marries one of these women. Manipulative, twisting. You see, because she has made Jacob her idol, she's got to take control and do whatever she can to get him what she wants him to have. Unfortunately, she never sees her son again, the one that she idolized. She loses that. You see, the idol of people is a common one for us, isn't it? It might be a child that you just feel, I need my child to do well, or I need my child to love me. That's an idol. Or your idol may be a spouse. I need my spouse to love me well, and if they don't, my life falls apart. It may be another friend or family member. It may be a parent. I know for me, as God has revealed my own idols, one of my primary idols in my life has been wanting to please my dad. He's been gone now for seven years. He's not with us, and yet I've just looked back and see how much of my life I made choices because I needed his approval. These idols are very powerful in our lives. It's easy to put them first. But look at the end of Rebecca's life. This passage we see today is really, we don't hear from her again. We don't even hear when she dies. In chapter 35 it says, And Deborah, the nurse of Rebecca, died and was buried, etc. But we're never told about Rebecca. till the very end of Genesis, when... Jacob is going to be buried back in the land of Canaan. We are told at that point, bury me in the cave back where Isaac and Rebekah are buried. So we found out she did die. She was buried. But there's no epitaph. There's, there's nothing. You see, she ended up idolizing Jacob and yet ending up never seeing him again, losing everything, ending up with a broken marriage, loss, deceit, lies, and ends up lonely. If you make a person into an idol, trying to find your joy in them, all you will experience is loss and loneliness in the end. That idol will steal your joy. You see, no matter what your idols are, (laughs) uh, they may be pleasure, or passion, or people, or they may be a multitude of others, something else like success. I I need to succeed at this job, or whatever it might be. Or power. I need power over other people. I need control. That can be an idol. Or an idol such as money. I need more money because there's life in money. Or an idol such as romance. I need someone to love me. That can be an idol. Your own morality can be an idol. Did you know that? Remember, an idol is a good thing that becomes central. And I think we as Christians can make, uh, I'm going to do it right. I've got to do everything right. That can be an idol. Even the truth, our theology can be an idol. 
where maintaining the right theology is so important to us, it becomes more important than knowing and trusting God. All of these idols and many others promise joy, but in the end, they leave us always empty, broken, and unfulfilled. So is there any encouragement in this passage? (laughs) Is there any encouragement to finding real joy? Well, I think there is. There's a hint in chapter 28, the first five verses, where we see here Isaac, as he's going to send Jacob away to go find a wife, he calls him in and he gives him the blessing of Abraham. You see, Isaac, who wanted to bless Esau, and when he thought it was Esau, gave Jacob a certain blessing, but he didn't give him the full blessing of Abraham. But now I think he's finally admitted he was wrong. God is God, and I will submit to his plan. God's plan was to give Jacob the blessing, and now I will give him the full blessing that was given to Abraham, passed on to Isaac, and now he passes it on to Jacob. You see, I think finally he learned to submit and admit that God was God. You want to know how to find real joy, how to let go of your idols? That's it. To finally admit that God is God. To say, my idols can't fulfill me. I've been living for the wrong thing. I want to repent of that. Turn to you. Recognize that you are God. My idol is not. Pleasure is not. Whatever it is, is not. You see, that's the key to true joy, to recognize that only in Him can we find the joy that we long for. He promises joy. All the idols promise joy, but only He can deliver. That's why He sent His Son. I bring you news of great joy. Great joy. Which is for all the world. In just a moment, the children will be coming up and they will be singing joy to the world. Think about the words for a moment. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Get this next line. I don't know if you've really thought about it. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. That's God's call on us this morning. Are there idols in the way holding your heart? God calls you to make room for your Savior who came as an infant, died on the cross, that you might have joy. Let's pray.